How we doing, Grace? It's a great day. Um, Before we dive into this message, we're starting a new series today. We're going to be going through the book of James. And I'm excited for this. As I've been writing this series and working with Pastor Dan, there's been so much conviction in my life. um, And I'm hoping that happens to you. (laughs) I'm hoping that when we dive into this, you will hear something that will move you, that, that will move you towards change, that will move you towards close relationship with him. Now, the book of James is often referred to as the, the book um, of acts and service and deeds and doing. Now, I want to just make this quote clear. This is not a book about acts leading to authentic faith in Christ, but this is a book that tells us that authentic faith in Christ will have action. And when we have an authentic faith in our Savior, there will be acts and action that come with it. And as we dive into that, you'll see that. But before we jump into the sermon, I just want to celebrate something. We've had a couple great weeks here at Grace. A couple weeks ago, we had a baptism. How many people, come on, just so many people baptized and... But I, I, it, the baptism celebration didn't end for me um, because I found out that on Wednesday morning, uh, some 35 brothers of mine in Carson City got baptized through that ministry that's going on there. Come on, church. I mean, Reno love last week. It's just so exciting to be a part of this. But let's dive into this. We're starting right in James 1, verse 1. It says this. This letter from Jesus, a slave of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James, sorry, it's not a letter from Jesus, it's a letter from James. I'm writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad, greetings. I want to just talk about who James is. James is the half-brother of Jesus. He has brotherly relation to Jesus. And it's important that you know this, that James, in the time where Jesus was in ministry on earth, was not a believer. In John 7, 5, it says this, for even his brothers didn't believe in him. James, his half-brother, didn't see him as what he just uh, proclaimed here in James 1. But then, he receives a resurrection visit from the risen Christ. This screams volumes to me. James 1 has been such an influential passage in my faith. Because if anybody has a brother or even a sibling, you know you're often the harshest critic, right? Or vice versa. It's James is the half-brother of Jesus and he's watching the ministry that Jesus is doing. He's seeing all of this but he doesn't believe until he meets the resurrected Christ. This just screams clearly to me that an encounter with the resurrected Jesus will change you forever. An encounter with the resurrected Christ will change you. You can be around it. You can be around the ministry. You can be doing all the right things. You can be saying all the right things. But if you have not had a real encounter with the resurrected Christ, you might not believe. James has this encounter. And why I bring up the brother, the reason why it's so important to me is because what a brother won't do, and this is just my opinion, a brother won't lie for their brother. Won't. A brother won't make up. A brother is the harshest critic. At least in my relationship with my brother, I'm not going to let him get away with anything. Right? I'm going to make sure. I just heard someone say, same. Yeah. uh, I'm going to be the harshest critic. And this is James. But then it goes to this line here. For this letter, 
is from James, a slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He is no longer, as he's writing this book, just a half-brother of Jesus. He doesn't see him as something that needs critiquing, that, that isn't what he says he is. He sees Christ as the Messiah. Another verbiage is the bondservant too. He, he is not just the skeptical brother, he is all in. And why I think that's important, it's important for us to take this lens as we read through the book of James. That this was someone who once was a skeptic, encountered Christ, and then writes these words. It goes on in the book of James to talk, over the next couple verses, it talks about this divide between authentic faith uh, and fake faith. And we're going to be reading from verses 19. That's where we're going to be starting today. Verses 19 through 21. It says this. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word of God that has been planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. Let's break this down. It starts off by saying, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must, be, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. What this is saying is you should be others focused above your own desires. When it says something like quick to listen, what you were saying, what it's saying is others' voices matter. Have you guys ever had a conversation with somebody that won't let you get a word in? It's like you're just trying to talk and they just know what you're gonna say better than you do. You know, we, we as believers are called to be quick to listen. Now this is hard as someone who's in the family of Christ because we know the right answer. We do. We know the gospel of Jesus, and we want to be quick to just tell them how it is. James tells us to be quick to listen, because it's saying that their voice matters, that we are willing to hear them. Now, we will get to the correction or maybe where we need to speak in, but others' voice matters. It says slow to speak. Slow to speak. It's almost the reverse of that. As you're quick to listen, slow to speak. Process what you're going to say. Know that their thoughts and their emotions matter. I have some friends in my life. I don't know if anybody can relate to this. I have some friends that are often not slow to speak and are very sarcastic. And sometimes it hurts. You know what I'm saying? As a, as a Christ fall, we are be called to slow to speak. We need to process the words we are saying. You know, the Bible describes the mouth being like the lead that drives us. As a representative of Christ that we're learning about in James, as we are called to represent Christ and live in him, the words we say matter. So let's be slow to speak. Now that goes against our culture. It does. But we serve a God who calls us to be different than our culture. He does. We need to be slow to speak, and then it goes on to say, and slow to anger. What this is really saying is others matter. James is saying, others matter here. Be slow to anger. Now, this is a hard one for me. I get angry easily. I know that's hard to believe, but if you ever watch me watch a football game, you'll see it like that. I get so mad. 
slow to anger. And it's easy for me to just walk around in the world we're living today and just be mad all the time. Slow. I have to remind myself what it says here in James. Be slow to anger. It doesn't say never be angry. It just says be slow. You know, there's times in our life where there will be anger. But I want to make sure when I get to that place, it is righteous. That, that I've been slow to this. I haven't just jumped to a conclusion. I haven't just jumped to a thought. I have been slow in the process of this. And then it goes on to read in the next line, so get rid of the filth and evil in your lives. Get rid of the filth and evil in your lives. What this line is saying here is a, as a Christian, your moral compass is not the world. That your moral compass, Dan talked about this last week in the Q&A, that your moral compass is not the world, but it is the word of God. That is your moral, so get rid of the filth and evil in your lives. Stop basing your life standards on what the world says. Get rid of it. And lean into the presence and the word of God. And as it goes on to read, it says, and humbly accept the word of God that has been planted into your hearts, for it has the power to save your soul. Man, the question I ask here is, is the word of God planted in your heart? Because if, if we're gonna practice the line above that to get rid of the filth and evil in our lives by humbly accepting and planting the word of God in our life, the answer to getting rid of the filth and evil in your life is having the word of God planted in your heart. I mean, look at this plant here. This plant, beautiful green plant. If its roots were not planted if they were not dug in deep, the leaves would not be green. See, some of us walk around wanting a spiritual life that looks like this. We want, to, we want healthy, we want people to notice, we want it to be beautiful, but our roots aren't planted into the word of God. We're just hoping that it will look like this. When we have the answer, it's planting the word of God into our life. I'll be honest with you. I have so many times that I'm meeting with people. Shane, I just feel so far from God. Shane, I just feel like this sin I can't get over. And my first question is, how often are you reading the word of God? I mean, as Christ followers, this is very clear, the word of God accepted and planted in your heart. Not just hovering on your heart, not just a bumper sticker on the back of your car that makes you feel good about when people are driving, they see that you're holy. This is talking about a planted, rooted, deep relationship with the word of God. If we want that life, this, this beautiful, planted, growing spiritual life, it comes from having our roots deep. Gosh, I wonder how many of us, if we're honest, and I, I mean, I'm just, I'm just talking about what it says here, so if, if there's conviction or you're like, Shane, stop, stop being mad at me, I'm just saying what it says. That I wonder how many of us need to change our coffee table layout and that word that sets, that's really just a glorified coaster in our house. We need to be passionate about diving into it, rooting our life 
into the word of God like James talks about. It talks about accepting and receiving, is accepting the word of God. This, you know, it's very, I wanna make sure we're clear on this. When we accept the word of God, we accept salvation. Salvation is given, it's not earned. But when we accept the word of God, going for the rooted, planted, deep relationship with it, we need to open up a heart and dive into that. James 1.22 says this, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. Well, so wait, wait. I can't just read it? I, I, it's not good enough just to read it? No. Listen. Don't just listen. Or you'll fool yourself. This is saying that application is greater than just reading. We need to take the word of God, open it up, and apply it to our life. It's not just something that we read just to pass time. This is a, the, the living word of God, and we need to apply it to areas in our life. Charles Spurgeon says this, I fear we have many such in all congregations, admiring hearers, affectionate hearers, attached hearers, but all the while unblessed hearers because they are not doers of the word. What a quote. In congregations such as this, many of us admire the word of God. We hear the word of God. But because we are not doers of it, we are unblessed. I mean, I, as I was reading this and thinking through this, I thought about something in my life that maybe some of us live our spiritual journey like this. Does anybody remember back in physical education where you had to run laps? Remember that? Um, I, I remember very clearly the worst part of my day. And, but I had developed a system to get out of it. Don't judge me, okay? What I would do is, is I realized that the coach would stand at the same spot and just look at his timer the whole time. And when someone would come fast across the line, good job, good job. So what I would do is, he would say, go, we're supposed to run eight laps. I would take off. And about when I was just out of sight, I would start walking. I would start walking. I'd be taking my time. People would be sprinting past me. I'd get to the last 10 feet, and I'd start sprinting. Sweating, coach. Coach would be like, good job, Marks. And I realized that if I did this, everybody else would run eight. I'd run four. <laughs> it's the truth. And I'd get the same time as the guy that was running. Here's, here's why I say this. We often live our spiritual life the same. We do. We're just trying to get credit for the race. But we're not reaping the rewards of the race. We're just trying to finish, the, cross the finish line like, whoop, Jesus, look at me. I sprinted that last five feet. That's not how we're designed to do this. We're designed to be running a constant race spiritually. I don't want to just fake it. I don't want to just hope that I can come to church and sprint that last 10 feet and no one in my life notices what's wrong with me. I want to run a consistent race. You with me, church? It goes on to read in James 1, 23. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like, like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like 
You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. It's interesting, because one of the translations for the word glancing here is careful scrutiny. It's very different than glancing. Careful scrutiny, because he's talking to the people who are really good at looking at the word of God, carefully scrutinizing it, but as they walked away, would not live like it. That's what it's saying here. You see yourself, and you walk away, and forget what you look like. I ask the self, ourselves, do we, have, do we become guilty of this where we become careful scrutinizers of the word? Sundays, we're like, look at this, look at this. But when we close it and walk away, we don't live it. I mean, what's the purpose of a mirror? I brought a mirror up here. Here, look at this. What's the purpose of a mirror? When I look into the mirror, it is not to say, usually, what's right about me. Does anybody do that? Like, or I'm sure there's some people here looking in the mirror and like, look how good I look. Woo! No, when I look in a mirror, I'm looking at the mirror. So just take this through the context of the Word of God. When I look at the mirror, I'm often looking for what's missing. What's missing with my hair? What's, what's missing with my face? How's my beard look? What's missing? Our approach to the Word of God should be the same. What's missing in my life? What's missing in me? When I look at the mirror, I'm also looking for what's wrong. What's wrong with how I look? What needs to be fixed? The word of God should be the same. But I want to make sure this is really clear. When we look in the mirror, who are we looking at? I'm talking to the mirror. Okay. Um, We're looking at ourselves. Oftentimes when we read the word of God, We look at the mirror of the word of God and say, look what's wrong with the world. Look what's wrong with them. When we need to be looking inwardly first. What's wrong in my life? What needs correction in my life? What's missing in my life? But also what's right? I can look in the mirror as some of us probably do and we celebrate. When we look into the mirror as the word of God in our life, we look into the word, we can look in us as what is right as well. That what God has done in us is right, that we're not of the world, but we're just in it. There's things that are right. The word of God is our spiritual mirror, designed for correction, designed for showing us what is missing, what needs to change, what's right. But it only works Because if I look at the mirror, and I get these things, if I look at the word of God, but I step out and don't live what I just learned, it's like glancing in a mirror, walking away, and forgetting what you look like. We need to look at the word of God as this mirror that is reflecting into us what we need to do and change in our life. But once we shut it, we need to live it. We need to walk it out. It goes on to say this in verse 25. But if you look carefully into the perfect law, then the law that sets you free, and do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing so. And then in 26, if you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself. And your religion is 
worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Man, I don't know about you, but when I read scripture, whenever it uses the term religion, it's not usually in a good context. Anybody else notice that? If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself. And your religion is worthless. What James is saying here, point blank, the main point, claiming it is not enough. It's not. Going to church and going through the motions is not enough. Singing the right songs and doing the right things, it's not enough. This comes down to an authentic relationship with Christ. All these things that we do and say, if we put our faith in those, in the religious structures, we're fooling ourselves. This relationship with Christ has to be more than words. It has to be. It has to be more than just things I say. It has to be so much more than words. Because if it's just words, eventually it'll fall apart. I see it time and time again. Man, people who came to church for years and I was like, man, they are great. Life happens, their world falls apart. They turn from God. Because we can get really good at going through the motions. We can get really good at burying the hard stuff, burying the things that are worth it, and just doing the surface level stuff and we can fake it so good. But eventually that won't be enough. So I had something interesting happen this week. I walked to the back of our house and I started to smell something, and it was bad. I started to smell something that smelled like death. And so I called someone out to look at it, and they went under my house, and lo and behold, they found a dead animal living under my house. Not living. <laughs> they found a dead animal under my house, completely dead. And he comes out and he says, yeah, there's a dead animal. It's located right around here. And I was like, that's exactly where the smell was. And something clicked to me. It's like our relationship with Christ. There's, there's these things in our life that we just want to, we, we don't want to do the hard work. We don't want to put in the time. We don't want to dive into the word. We just want to put that under the house. The things in us that, that, are, that are broken, the, the sins, we just want to put that under the house. But I realized even though I couldn't see that dead animal, eventually I knew it was there as the smell began to seep through. Your life spiritually will be the same. Hear me when I say this. The things in your life that you're trying to bury, the things in your life that you're avoiding, that you're just putting under the house, eventually it will seep through. Eventually the smiles you can only fake so long 
Eventually the right words, you can only say so long. We gotta dig that stuff up, have an encounter with the risen Christ, fall in love with the word of God, and stop just faking it. Because eventually, we'll begin to stink spiritually. We will. We can only fake it for so long, but I want that pure, genuine religion it talks about. For you will have a pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father. What can we do to do that? Everything we've talked about today. But we can just take these last two lines it says in James 1. It says this, caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Caring for people. It's using orphans and widows because they were often in this time the ones that were abandoned. But this is James, the word of God, telling us that if you want this pure, not fake, relationship-based religion, it comes from caring for people. Like what we did last week with Reno Love. That was pure and beautiful. Like the heartbeat of come and see. Come and see is not just about an event. Come and see is not just about us saying the right things. Come and see is saying as a church, we're gonna be sold out to love people who are far from God. We're gonna be sold out to be his witnesses wherever we go, wearing a wristband that reminds me, okay, I am called to care for people, to live this pure and genuine faith. I'm called to do so. The reason why I'm just going to be, the reason why we're going through James before come and see is I'm hoping that it will rally us as a church to say, you know what? We have to be about people. I debated saying something. I'm just going to say it. I debated saying something because it's, it's so easy for us to look at the world outside of the faith, outside of Christ, and become angry. I've been that way. But we have to remind ourselves, people who are far from God don't have the word of God implanted in their life. Of course, of course it's gonna look like it's against God. Of course it's gonna be against God because they don't have God in them. Our approach to people should not be anger at them for being far from God. Our approach should be care and passion to love them well so they will find the joy and peace of Christ. It's the truth. They don't have this precious word. They don't have this precious relationship. Of course they're going to be far off. But we can love them well. Right, church? And the second thing it says and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Don't let the world corrupt you. You want that pure, genuine relationship with Christ like James talks about. You need to live for more. You need to elevate your life, the standards of your life, the callings of your life, you are called to live for more. The things that the world says give into, you don't. 
The things that the world says say, you don't. The things that the world says, this is completely acceptable. It might not be for you. You are called to live for more. You are a representative of Christ who flies the banner of Christian above their life. Live like it. Live like it. Put standards and structures in your life that are calling you to more. That's what James is talking about. And my hope is that we will get to that place, that we will love people really well. And we won't let the world corrupt us, but we will change the world we live in. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we love you. And we praise you. I pray that as we go about our day today, we would hear the words you've said and we would dive into them that you correct in us the things that need correction. As we glance into your mirror this week through the word of God, you'd reveal to us the things in us that need to change. That we need you to move. Help us love people well. We lift up come and see, Father, and pray that it would just be something where your name is made famous, where many will come to know you and have their lives eternally changed. Help us live in this world but not be of it. To set our standards at a different place based on our life being rooted in your word. We love you and praise you in your holy name. Amen.